Hello and welcome to the relaunched UCL News podcast powered by UCL Minds. The last time a news podcast was produced was in 2009, so a full 10 years later seemed like a good time to bring it back. The podcast series is launching as part of UCL Minds and it will be available on SoundCloud, which you can find at soundcloud.com forward slash UCL Sound. For the first podcast in this series, we're focusing on the Giordano Institute for Security and Crime Science and the Department for Security and Crime Science in the engineering faculty. 20 years ago this week, the brutal murder of broadcaster Jill Dando shocked the nation and led to the term crime science being coined by her co-presenter Nick Ross. The JDI was set up as part of her legacy following extensive fundraising and today has 28 full-time academic and teaching staff plus nearly 300 students who study through the department. I'm delighted to be joined by three academics from the Institute Gloria Laycock, who was the first director of the JDI and is a professor of crime science at UCL, Richard Wortley, who is the current director and a professor of crime science, and Ruth Morgan, director of the UCL Centre for Forensic Sciences and a professor of crime and forensic sciences. So thank you all for joining me here today. Gloria, we've spoken a bit this week, and yesterday you said that when you set up the JDI to investigate something that was at the time, a relatively new concept. It was just you and a PA. That really must have felt like quite a large weight to carry. It was quite terrifying when I think back. I'm amazed anything happened. I realised pretty quickly that although a million pounds is a lot of money, it's not really enough to set up an institute. And the only reason we ever managed to do it was because of the enormous amount of help we got from all sorts of people especially some of the senior colleagues in UCL. But outside of UCL, Jill Dando's name opened a lot of doors. So, for example, the Home Office seconded me to UCL for three years, which meant they paid all my salary, so I didn't have to pay myself. And um, as UCL is always short of space, we managed to get HSBC Bank to give us some space over one of their banks in Old Street. So we had space to expand. And that's what we did. We started off with short courses and training for the police while we prepared the first master's master's MSc programme in uh, crime science. And I just can't get over really the amount of help and support that we were given to, to get that institute off the ground. It was such a huge fundraising drive at the time. Before that sort of term was coined and before this was set up, How did we as a society go about tackling crime and trying to prevent it? Interestingly, I think we've always been obsessed with the criminal justice system as a method of controlling crime. And obviously you need that. The the criminal justice system serves as as a a delivery mechanism for justice and um, it declares what's what's forbidden, what kind of behaviours we're concerned to control. But it isn't very good at preventing crime and people think it is. It It only works really if you're sure you're going to catch the person, and most of the time we don't. So one of the key points about crime science is that it's outcome-focused. It's concerned about controlling crime and particularly preventing it before it happens. So our focus is on prevention upstream of the crime happening and trying to stop it. Um, We do fret a little bit about detection much less so about the operation of the courts. Forensic science is is such a big part of this as well. 
Ruth, you joined UCL in 2007 and you launched the Centre for Forensic Sciences in 2010. How does that discipline fit into crime science? Forensic science is obviously about detecting crime, but it also has an awful lot to offer in terms of providing intelligence that can guide an investigation and increasingly and more and more uh, intelligence that can actually be part of the prevention of crime agenda. So I think it's a fairly, it's a very natural um, associated field. And I think it's one of those areas that's very, very compelling because it's a very, very clear articulation of how science can be applied to um, very real world problems. What do you think the future of forensic science looks like? Lots of different people will say lots of different <laughs> things. Um, the future of forensic science is, is exciting. There's a huge amount that's happening that is going to transform how we, uh, how we use forensic science, the kinds of capabilities that we'll have. So um, uh, being able to use digital evidence is a, is a huge thing that we're seeing. 90% of crime now has a digital evidence component to it. That is only going to increase. Every time you get a new mobile phone, you're getting more and more and more data. We're, we're storing more and more data um, about everyday activities and it's not being deleted. Um, it's, it's, mm. it's a growing dynamic um, body of data. So I think that the digital space is going to be very, very significant in terms of where we go in, fr in forensic science in the future. But I also think we've got some serious challenges. All these new capabilities are really bringing out new challenges that we're going to have to find very innovative and creative ways of solving. So whether that's around how we interpret what the evidence means, which is a big focus for us here, um, or whether it's being able to horizon scan, actually identify emerging capabilities in other disciplines and being able to harness those for crime detection and crime um, prevention purposes. There's going to be an awful lot going on. How would you say forensic science has changed over the last sort of 10 years or so? I think we've seen something quite exciting. So I think when we set up the Centre for the Forensic Sciences, what we were seeing was an awful lot of very, very good science that had very well-established methods and approaches being looked at and then applied into forensic challenges. And what we've seen over the last 10 or so years is that actually we're developing a body of knowledge that's very specific to forensic science. We're, get, we're seeing an awful lot of research that is now crafted in mind of the forensic application. So developing techniques that are going to be timely and they are going to be very cost efficient and they're not going to um, create more problems in, in a forensic space than, than, they, than they solve. And so I think what we're seeing is, some, is something of a, of a change in the identity of forensic science from parent disciplines being applied into forensic challenges through to a very specific and very clear distinctive discipline that is um, articulating relevant forensic science challenges and creating very bespoke solutions to them. It's really interesting. I just also wanted to pick up on something you mentioned, which was digital. Mm. Um, something that really interests me is applying crime science to crimes which maybe weren't so much of a problem 20 years ago or so, such as cybercrime, which is huge now. It's both, you know, it's a crime in its own right and it's used, as you say, in so many crimes, including, to name a couple, domestic abuse, um, child abuse, how can we apply crime science then to tackle that? I think um, crime science is ideally placed to help us 
face those challenges in a, in a new digital world. world. Um, it's interesting, we, we call it crime science uh, advisedly because we're focusing on crime and when we do that, this opens a whole lot of new doors. So traditionally when we think about crime, we focus on the offenders. If we're academics, we try to work out why offenders become bad people. You know, why do they commit crimes? If we're in the criminal justice system, we focus on catching them. If we start thinking about how we prevent crime, then we can look at a range of other things. We can look at not only the offender, but we can look at who the victim or the target of the crime is. We can look at the environment in which that occurs. So the first thing is that we, as Gloria said, we're problem-focused. We can focus on the problem of, of cybercrime in this case, knowing that in most cases we're never, ever going to know the offender or catch the offender. These crimes are going to occur in other countries out of police jurisdiction. Uh, there are so many crimes occurring in these, uh, in these, uh, through these modalities that police are really spoiled for choice in terms of catching people. So, so it's... The digital revolution is changing the whole criminal justice paradigm of find out who committed the crime, catch them, put them in jail and rehabilitate them or deter them, where we now have to think of ways of blocking their behaviour. Uh, the other way I think crime science is really um, well suited to this challenge is that we are as interdisciplinary as you can, uh, can find. The Jules Jando uh, Institute itself has staff from 14 to 15 different disciplines and they're across the social and the technical sciences. So we more and more realise that to tackle the, the crimes of the 21st century, we need to not just rely on the, the usual suspects, the psychologists, the criminologists, the lawyers, we have to bring in the computer scientists, the engineers, um, people from a whole range of technical dis disciplines to, to help us in this task. becoming more and more relevant to crime science. I mean, we're in the engineering faculty at UCL, as you know, and it's a great place to be. And one of the things we're trying to do um, outside of the academic field, it's more in our teaching area rather than the research that we do, but in, in terms of getting these ideas out, we're trying to get the police to think like engineers think. And one of the consequences of that is that they have to be prepared to cope with mistakes and error. They have to experiment. The point about experiments is you don't know what the answer is going to be, and sometimes it might be the, the one that you ex might not be the one you expected. Um, and there are, I think the police are quite nervous about behaving like engineers because they're so prone to criticism by the media if anything goes wrong. But engineers have managed to keep planes in the air by experimenting and those sorts of errors now are very rare notwithstanding the recent couple of disasters we've had so um, getting the police to not just catch people and be reactive but to be proactive and think about prevention very actively in, the, in their routine day-to-day -day work is really something we're pushing quite hard. Would you say that's something that is a constant sort of learning learning curve and it's something that we've learned over the last 20 years? Definitely. I mean, as Ruth said, we're learning all the time, but I think right now it's particularly exciting. I think um, probably driven by the, the, the digital revolution and, and the other new things that are coming on stream, like artificial intelligence and drones and so on, we're very aware, and the police are very aware, that the problems they're facing are changing and changing very quickly and that they're not very well trained 
at the moment to deal with those problems. So mm. um, the moment's really right to be, be thinking differently about crime control. And as Richard said, about manipulating the environment so that it's far less likely to happen. That's one of the things that 20 plus years ago, cars were redesigned with deadlocks and immobilizers. It was engineers who redesigned vehicles. And that led to a 70% drop in car crime, which is huge. And it just it's a brilliant illustration of the relevance of engineering rather than, in this case, policing to crime control. And I guess another example of the relevance of engineering is in the recent drone attacks, in inverted commas, uh, at Gatwick Airport over Christmas. Exactly. I think that proved how unprepared we were for something like that. Indeed. Um, but that since absolutely. then, I'm, I'm kind of assuming they've put up some more robust defences and so on. Well, that, that's that's work for the future, I think. And uh, But but you, your general point is, is right... It's not just drones. Just, we often give the challenge to our engineering colleagues uh, to think of ways that they can apply their disciplines to prevention of crime. And every single engineering and, and scientific discipline that we that we engage with has something to offer us in terms of uh, prevention. Mm. And it's not and it's not just what you might think of as science. It's mm. not just being able to detect things or sense things. It's often understanding how people interact with evidence and how um, humans are a part of that security space as well so it's it's social science and science um, and humanities hmm. Hmm. bringing those disciplines together is is really powerful one of the things we've done for example through the doors center for future crime which is also part of the jill dando institute and headed by professor shane johnson we've we've looked at long-standing and very difficult problems like domestic violence and instead of talking in a sort of focus group context with people like social workers and psychologists and mediators we've had engineers and mathematicians and physicists in the room and said look here's a problem how would you think about that and it's trying to get a different set of people who are very used to problem solving, that's what engineers particularly do, to think about how they would approach the problem of domestic violence in different sorts of contexts. And it just opens your mind in a very different way to what you can do about some of these intractable problems that we've had for a very long time. And it's bridging the the divide between the social and those technical sciences that the real challenge, but the real excitement comes. I mean, I... Working in a department with 14 different disciplines is exhilarating for me. We see, you know, engineers working with psychologists and mathematicians on problems. You start with the problem and you decide what you need to solve that problem. You don't start with your discipline and say, what can I solve? And it's, uh, it's you know, I've been in academia a long time. This is the most exciting place that I've, I've worked. And it's really exciting when the students get to be part of that as well. Mm. When light bulbs go on because they see that whatever background they've got, They've got something to offer, and but they're also working with people who see things very differently to them and building those bridges and common languages so that they can um, together really come up with innovation that people haven't thought of before. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things about teaching, when somebody says, oh, when 
the lecturer said X, a light bulb came on. And I can now see when I was interviewing all those SIO, senior investigating officers in relation to organised crime, they're doing everything wrong. And this was a police officer speaking. And he went away, on the one hand, appalled that the the police were behind the curve on this, but also so excited because he could see, he felt, what really needed to be done. That's really exciting. And I think the what makes um, the JDI and the work that you're doing so unique is the fact that it's so multidisciplinary. And I was reading about each of you earlier, and you've, you've all got quite sort of diverse backgrounds. I think, Ruth, you did geography originally. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and you've got to watch where geographers go. <laughs> we get everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, Gloria, you worked for the Home Office. Yes, right? but I... Um, my academic background, like Richard. Actually, Richard and I are very similar. Okay. We're both psychologists. We both went from our first degree into prison service, me in, in Worm, to Wormwood Scrubs in, in England and Richard in Australia. Yes, you probably haven't detected that I've got an Australian accent. I <laughs> pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then we both drifted into crime prevention and now we've both um, at some point headed the Gildando Institute. Um, but... Um, it's been a really, really interesting journey. And, and I think uh, I was in the Home Office as a prison psychologist, but I also moved into Home Office Research and headed had the police research group there. So I've been working with the police and concerned with crime prevention for about 40 years. It's, it's scary thinking about it. But over that whole time, I don't think I've ever been so excited as I am at the moment. What's sort of coming up in the next couple of years or so for the JDI? We've sort of talked about it already. We have to address the technological changes that are occurring. And we've talked about digital, but of course there are other things like drones and and so forth. Um, We have a a centre for future crime that uh, drives some of this for us. For the Gildando Institute, I think that um, we need to bring even more of this technical uh, expertise within within the Institute, both in our teaching program, in our research. More generally, I, I would hope the future is for the work that we do to spread to other academic units who are looking at crime and security, but also out there into the, the real world, to the, the people who are who are uh, char- charged with preventing crime for us. We know, for example, that there are crime science departments that have started up in other countries and other universities. And one of the aspects about our department we haven't really talked about but it's it's really fundamental is that we do engage really closely with end users with real real world practitioners all of us have our links in the police and the security services in other you know ngos and so forth that are actually doing crime prevention it's an important part for us if i can have a little brag here we were one of the very few departments just a handful of departments uh, in the UK, they got 100% for their research impact in the last ref, and we're very, very proud of that because we always ask the so what question. We carry out research that we hope has a real-world impact and we, we follow that through and engage with the people who use our research. That's, that's a great thing to brag about. Mm. <laughs> yeah, crime science is certainly spreading. I mean, we've got, in, in the Institute, we've also got um, a, a Latin American Caribbean uh, centre which is headed by Spencer Cheney, and he's working at the moment in in South America and, and particularly concerned about violent crime and and pushing and working with the Uruguayan police, actually, to help them 
behave like scientists and solve problems instead of reacting to crime. And I think that's going down really well with them. And it's, it's a notion that people can understand and engage with, and particularly people who are responsible for crime, like the police, because they get so used to going back to the same place time and time again and nothing happens and they can't catch people. It's all too difficult. And I think what the principles of crime science, which are essentially the principles of, of science, enable them to see a way through that. They can see that there is actually something they can do and they can protect victims better and they can stop crime before it happens. And um, it, it requires a, quite a shift in their mindset so it's not going to happen overnight, but once they get it, as we go back to that light bulb thing, it, they really, really get excited. It's that aha moment when it finally yes, clicks. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just convincing people that making it hard to commit crime can be effective and can have long-term effects. You know, there's always the naysayers that if you stop crime in this area, then it's going to move over to another area. We know that's not always true. In fact, most of the time it's not true. So it's getting people to think beyond how, why is this person a bad person and doing these bad things to thinking why are they doing these things and how can we stop them doing those things? And that can bring in a whole range of things, changing the environment, ch helping victims, uh, potential victims protect themselves. It, it expands the, the kinds of things that you can actually do to prevent crime. And if you go back to the cyber area, it's actually the only thing we can do. When you've got offenders sitting in countries, uh, you know, outside of the UK, uh, defrauding people in, in Britain or um, downloading uh, indecent images and so forth, really the only option you have is to make their life as difficult as possible. And that's the sorts of things we look at. And I think as well, um, a big part of what we're doing here is changing or challenging people's ideas of what they think preventing crime actually entails or what forensic science entails um certainly from when i first met you ruth a couple of weeks ago um you changed definitely changed what i had expected my kind of image of forensic scientist was someone at a crime scene in the suit going through you know all the evidence but it's it's much more detailed much more nuanced than that isn't it i mean i think forensic science has really benefited from being portrayed in the media and it's but it's often portrayed in the media like that you know yeah um suited up um very sharp scientists who are following the evidence um the grissoms of the world who are um pioneering the way and wrapping crimes up in 40 minutes or so with an ad break um and the thing that's really compelling about that is what is it's really bringing the new capabilities in science to a whole new audience and a much broader audience, which is really fantastic. But I think the thing that we see with the research that we do and our vision for the future in terms of forensic science is that that's absolutely really, really important and we need to continue with those technological um, innovations and developments. A really big challenge that's emerged is that the interpretation of evidence often doesn't have a very strong scientific basis and that's really what our research in forensic science is all around how can we produce that evidence base so how can we not just tell you that those particles on your jacket are from an explosive residue and maybe what kind of explosive but we can tell you um, how and when did those particles transfer? So is it because you were handling an explosive this morning or is it actually because you managed to pick up some explosive residue through innocent means, maybe touching a grab rail on the tube or um, opening a door for somebody? So 
those are the kinds of questions we really need to be able to answer. But we also need to be communicating that better to the public because I think there's a very big sense that forensic science is this very clear, open and shut case that um, can solve solve crimes, help help investigations. But actually, this is a, a very, very underlying challenge that affects a whole range of different parts of the process. And until we can answer those questions of how and when did the evidence transfer, and also ha- what factors are influencing the scientists as they interpret what that evidence means, we're not going to be able to robustly and transparently always know what the evidence means which is really critical and the the public knowing about it is so important because it's a jury that have to ultimately decide what that evidence means in a court so they need to know about what we do know what we don't know what we can know what we can't know Mm. and tackling and overcoming that bias that everyone has is hugely important isn't it as well I think so I think it's very people are often very surprised when I say the big challenge is not a quality standards failure in a big major lab or um, corruption in a in an investigation. The big challenge is understanding what the evidence means. People look at me like I'm, I'm a bit crazy, but I, that is where we're at. That's what we need to fix. The other thing I'd add is that one of the things I think crime science approach also emphasises is that we can't just see the world in terms of good guys and bad guys. And I think if we focus, you know, the old way of focusing on offenders tended to think that we had a little compartment of offenders and if we just caught them, everything would be okay. And what we learn is that crime is much more dynamic than that. As Gloria mentioned, uh, I spent my first 10 years of my career in prisons. I talked to thousands of prisoners and very few of them ever got up in the morning thinking they were going to commit a crime that day. But as the day unfolded and events happened, uh, the crime occurred. Um, so, so how we can disrupt disrupt those kind of crime patterns, but it's just not for a small group of people. You know, uh, if we think about reducing opportunities for crime, it goes across the board and can prevent crime, you know, more broadly than that. I think finally one of the one of the huge changes that has come about is how we think about and use data. And we've learned from Tesco and Facebook and whatever the, the misuse sometimes that, that uh, it can be put to. But it's also an incredibly powerful tool for good if we share it. And that data also needs interpretation data. As Ruth said, it doesn't speak for itself. You have to interpret it. And all of that requires skills that the police have never been exposed to and and, and academics, quite frankly, argue about. So the role of interpretation and experience and and hypothesis testing in in science is, is fascinating, but it's something that we're trying to get the police to start thinking about um, together with us. We, we call it co-production. It's a horrible word, I think, but it's about academics and the police working together to solve problems instead of uh, one academic paper was called um, the dialogue of the deaf which was to say academics are in their ivory towers talking to each other and the police are saying those academics don't understand the real world those stereotypes have to be broken down and they are being and it's it, that's another reason why i think it's a particularly exciting time to be in this field thank you all thank you gloria ruth and richard Thank you. Thank you. 
UCL Minds brings together the knowledge, insights and ideas of our community through a wide range of events and activities that are open to everyone.